Chicago Magazine is terrific. And I, I love to talk to writers from there whenever uh, they make avail themselves, including our next guest. I'm reading from his piece. Over the 22 days leading up to October 8, 1871, it had rained only once, a measly 0.1 inches. The entire city became virtually a tinderbox. A mere 35 years earlier, Chicago had been a frontier outpost. But by 1870, it was the United States' fifth largest city with a population of 300,000. And yes, for the most part, it was completely made of wood. 150th anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire coming up October uh, this year. With that in mind, Robert Lorzell is here, a terrific writer, and I recommend everybody go to chicagomag.com. I love oral histories, whether it's Ken Burns or Studs Terkel, and I think this one's in the same category. Robert, welcome back to the Big 89, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on your show. I spent a lot of time today going through this, and I love, as I was discussing with a previous guest about a, a survey, I like to read the verbatims. And here, you yeah. have gone through a lot of source material from 1871 and the follow-up on that, 1872, from reporters, even Mrs. O'Leary and the O'Leary family. What nuggets, what, what surprises did you discover in doing your research? Well, there was so much to wade through, as, as you suggested. Uh, a lot was written about this fire, um, both uh, you know, right in its immediate aftermath and uh, many years later. So, you know, it was a big challenge for me just to kind of get through all that. Um, the stuff about the O'Leary family, I, I, I knew the story somewhat, but uh, delving into more details about what exactly happened there when the fire began was uh, pretty interesting. I thought uh, we don't, we still don't really know what happened, but I found it really fascinating to hear in their own words what the O'Leary family said. And what they say, and almost all the witnesses uh, verify this, is that they were in bed when this happened. So, you know, the the myth about how Mrs. O'Leary, uh, Catherine O'Leary, was uh, milking her cow and it kicked over the lantern, um, it seems pretty obvious that that is not how the fire started. Uh, now, exactly what happened <laughs> in that barn behind their house and exactly how it, it burst into flame uh, is still a mystery 150 years later. What I enjoy about uh, this oral history is that you've, you, you left the verbiage as they spoke in 1871. You didn't, you didn't yeah. clean it up or advance it for us or, <laughs> right. or, or you know, uh, bring it to current you know, standards. And, right, I guess right. you did. and what I like is reading the recent German and Irish immigrants speak in I, I've never heard some of these words, but obviously they're part of the colloquial uh, language yeah, of that yeah. day. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will not attempt an Irish accent here because it would probably sound uh, really bad, but um, Daniel Sullivan, the uh, man with the wooden leg who was the first one to see the fire, and some are suspicious of whether he was uh, lying about his story, but, but his story is very colorful, and he describes running into the barn as much as he could run with, with uh, one wooden leg. Um, and I love this turn of phrase where he talks about going into the barn and coming out with the the, the calves that are all burnt. And uh, he says, I stood and looked back at the fire as a dog will look when he is licked with a rope. <laughs> yeah, that gets you in trouble nowadays, obviously. Um, what, what, what did the politicians say? Were they, were they apparent as politicians? I'm reading some of the um, quotes from, uh, what was the mayor's name, Mayor Mason? 
And the, even in those days, politicians tried to put the best face on their quotes and the best spin on on it, uh, even as a politician in those days. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, well, one thing that really came out in, in the aftermath of the fire as, as investigations were held uh, is that there were a lot of things that went wrong with, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming firefighters because a, a lot of the firefighters were obviously doing their best that they could under uh, incredibly difficult circumstances, but there were a lot of things that went wrong, both with the city planning, like why did you allow all these wooden buildings to be built, <laughs> even in, in areas where where they weren't allowed, uh, to just, you know, the way the fire department was organized and things like that. Uh, there, were, there was a lot of blame to go around, but... Uh, the Chicago politicians love to put a put more of a positive spin on how the city was being rebuilt and how great all the people were. So that so that was quickly what they focused on in the aftermath. After going through all the source material in, in the aftermath, uh, was the Chicago fire, and I say this delicately because it was a great loss of life, but was it a net gain or a net loss for the city of Chicago, historically? Well, you know, I think it was, one thing that came clear to me, uh, I mean, I, this sounds kind of obvious, but I think... This thing has become such a myth that sometimes we forget just how horrendous it was to live through, and some of the uh, you know both people dying and just the horrific circumstances. Uh, it's really kind of unbelievable to put yourself into the mindset of someone who's you know uh, crouched on the beach and having sand and ashes blowing at them as they're trying to uh, protect themselves from the fire. So people went through all these horrible things. So yes, I, I wouldn't want to minimize it. Uh, in the long run, it did, uh, you know, it wiped out a big part of the middle of Chicago and it allowed uh, new buildings to go up. So in some ways, it kind of created a blank slate for new architecture. Yeah. Um, and the alleys. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which if you, anybody who spends any time in Manhattan, you realize how fortuitous it is to have alleys. <laughs> yes, it's one of, the great, one of the great things about Chicago. Uh, how long was this piece before your editor said, are you kidding me? You've got to cut it down. <laughs> it is a rather long article in the format that it's finally published in, about 12,000 words. I think but the first draft I turned in was around 20,000. <laughs> How did you guess it was longer? <laughs> <laughs> because there's so much source material. It's just, it's, yeah. It, yeah. it is a great reference article. I'm going to pull it out and stick it on, you know, to my, in my Chicago bookshelf with the other history books. I think it's that great of an article. It's not, I'm going to use it uh, down the line. Yeah, well, I, that's nice. Well, Robert, thanks. Nice having you on again. Yeah, thank you for having me on again any time. All right, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That's uh, Robert uh, Lorzell, Chicago author, freelance journalist, photographer, 150th anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire. You can find it at chicagomag.com, chicagomag.com.